Well, good morning, Central Heights. It really is so good to be with you. In case you didn't know, I've been gone for a few weeks. And so I think it is true that absence makes the heart grow fonder. It feels so right to be back here this morning. My name is Tim. I'm going to continue our series in the book of James. If you want to take your Bible or app and get to James chapter 5. I hope you've been having a good summer. Um, I've really had some good days and as I was reflecting on this during my last week of break I had one of those like just excellent days you wish you could just repeat over and over and over again. It began with a a coffee and a breakfast muffin and an unhurried state just uh, sipping on that good coffee, eating the muffin, reading, catching up on the news. Um, was so great. Followed up with a walk along the beach on the ocean and a bit of time of prayer uh, with God. That was so great. And then uh, a visit from family, which was so sweet. And then uh, we went cycling. And then we went swimming in a pool in a house that I was privileged to have to house it. But it was more like a house that you felt like you were at a resort with this beautiful pool in the backyard. That was so sweet. And the, and the, but the day wasn't over. Um, then a great dinner with uh, my daughter. Great conversation. And then after that, another walk along the beach. And then because we, we exercise so much, an abundant ice cream with a freshly baked waffle cone. I mean, do you get my drift? The kind of day. And then we love music. And wouldn't you know it, we stumble onto a park festival where they got this great live music. And, and the band was excellent. I mean, talk about hitting all the boxes. This is incredible. And then we go back to my place and we have a little time of prayer again. It was so sweet, so beautiful. And then watch a bit of a movie and then crawl into bed. And I go, wow, what a day. What a day. Wish I could repeat this, but you know what? There's a better day coming. I know that some of you have had uh, good days this summer. Not only good days, but significant days. Like a graduation. You've experienced a graduation. You've experienced a wedding or are looking forward to a wedding yet to come this summer. You've had a baby or you're, you're expecting a baby. These are significant days. And yet I would say this morning as we look in the book of James, there's a more significant day to come. Or maybe you're here this morning and you can't really talk about a good summer at all. It's even recall a good day this summer. And I've, I've been there. I've had a summer. It was so hard. But I'm here, standing here this morning to tell you that you can be absolutely certain and sure of a better day is coming. This was a biblical certainty for the followers of Jesus Christ in a hope in a day coming, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at the passage this morning, James is writing to a group of people who probably aren't experiencing a great holiday, holiday but are actually experiencing tough times. He calls them the, the dispersion. dispersion. Likely they have had to leave their city of Jerusalem and they've been, they've been dispersed throughout the countries. And as they've gone, they are sometimes in threat of persecution. Their livelihood is at risk. They're in difficult and trying times in, in different ways. And it's to this group that James is writing to about a better day, reminding them of the Lord's coming. 
He begins in James chapter 5, verse 7, to remind them to finish strong until the coming of the Lord. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. I was uh, going to high school here in the Fraser Valley. We had moved from the city of Calgary, and I came here uh, to start high school in grade 11. And immediately when I went to this new school, uh, I met this guy. I'm going to call him Anthony. Uh, it's not his real name, but met this guy, Anthony. And it didn't take long, and we became good friends. We were from the same um, same area, and uh, we, we got along, and he was very inviting, very welcoming, but we really shared very different stories, and as we shared our lives together, you know, I was a follower of Jesus, and, and he wasn't, and, uh, but as we talked further at one point about, you know, my past, his past, he, he, he began to share with me, there was a point in his life in middle school where he had actually encountered Jesus. And it so moved him that, like, he was telling everybody about it. And, and as he told me the story, he probably wasn't being very tactful. He was probably not being very gracious in what he was saying. And as a result of that, he got a lot of pushback. And a lot of people didn't like this, and so they didn't like him. And it brought him into conflict and rejection. And as a result of that, he left it. He, he just left it. This fall, we'll have a number of um, high school graduates that will maybe go to university for the first time or college. And, um, you know, they've been raised in a Christian home or have a Christian faith. And, um, you know, we have some really good professors in our universities that believe in Jesus. And, and given the chance, we'll share that with students. But there are a number of professors, and this is well documented, that, like, they're on a mission to destroy people's faith in Christian faith. And, and so these unsuspecting students entering into that environment, if they're not prepared properly, um, sometimes, and the statistics are that many of them bail. Think of another situation, a man named, I'll call him Dave, he's a senior citizen. Now the, the senior citizens in Central Heights are amazing people. I spent some time with some of them on Thursday. There, there are so many amazing senior citizens. So I'm going to talk about a senior citizen named Dave. Obviously he doesn't go to this church, he goes to another church. But Dave is, uh, he, he may profess Christian faith and he goes to church on a regular basis, but like he's really hard to be around. In fact, he is, he's, he's the typical, stereotypical, grumpy old man. No one wants to be around him. He is not finishing strong. Anthony did not finish strong. Kids going to school, bailing on their faith, are not finishing strong. See, this has been a, this has been a difficulty, a, a trial, a temptation today, but it was that way since the beginning. And so James is writing to encourage the people who've been dispersed, who are in difficult circumstance, finish strong until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In, biblical, in the biblical story, history is not cyclical. It is linear. It is moving towards something. And James reminds the people of God as they, as they follow Jesus not to just get caught up in, in the minutia of the day-to-day, -day, but to be reminded that they are part of a story that is moving towards something. And it's in the Christian faith, it's moving towards something great, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
When Jesus was with his disciples, and I just can't imagine what it would be like to be with Jesus and, and walk with him and see him do all these incredible things that he did, that, that his, hear his teaching, um, see him you know, do miracles, and, and people's lives are radically changed as they encounter him. Can you imagine walking with Jesus in that physical way? But one day he pulls his disciples aside and he says, I, I'm leaving here. And they are very distraught, as you and I would be. But he says, when I go, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he says in John chapter 16, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's, he's going to do some things in the world. He's going to convict of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And so Jesus left. He tells his disciples, I'm going to leave. And as I leave, I'm leaving with you a commission, which we read about in, in Luke and Matthew. I want you to carry on the same mission that I'm carrying on. And having risen from the dead, he spent some time with his disciples. And then we're told in Acts chapter 1, Acts, which is the, like the, the story of the birth of the early church and, and how it began to blossom and grow. And there in Acts chapter 1, as they're with Jesus, he begins to ascend before their very eyes. And the angel says to, to those, as you can imagine, their mouths dropped open. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming again. Jesus told them, the angels told them, you don't forget that. And so as they live their life out, um, they're expecting, there's an anticipation that Jesus will come again. And yet it goes they didn't know how long it was going to be. Will it be a week? Will it be a month? Will it be a year? Will it be two years? And time begins to move on. And, and you wonder what was going on in their hearts and minds as, as they wait for the return of Jesus. Like, what is going on here? And, and those around them who, who didn't want to believe their message would, would scoff at the fact that they believed that Jesus was coming again. In fact, we read so much in, in 2 Peter where he says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. What are they going to say? Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But Peter writes in defense of this, you got to know something. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish. Remember that phrase. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the believer is called to wait. And James gives an example to those he's writing to. He says, look at the farmer. He says, the farmer, look how he waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He knows he has a season there are the early rains. So if you were in Israel at the time, in end of October, early November, they have the early rains and it softens up the ground so that you can sow the seed. And then the farmer waits and he, he keeps, you know, he, he guards the, the land, the property, he tends it, but he has to wait. And then the later rains come, and those come at the end of April, beginning of May. And, and, and it's that moisture that causes there to be a harvest, to be a, to be a fruitfulness. 
There are things that the farmer can do, and there are things in which the farmer is just completely reliant upon the rain, which they understood was from the goodness of God, that it was God who caused it to rain. And so the farmer waits. He waits until the early, he waits until the late rains, and then with the goodness of God, the blessing, the precious fruit comes. So we see there's not only a timeline that James is talking about, but there's also a motivation here that we need to to finish strong in light of the Lord's return. See, he says the farmer waits. Why? Just for the sake of waiting? No, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He waits because he knows that something absolutely good is coming at the end of that waiting. And it's a great picture of the Christian life. You see, we need to see ourselves, we're all sort of floating on this river in a a raft of our life, but we're floating on through time and history. And some of us maybe will die before it happens, before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe all of us will. But but all of us, if, if we have passed away before that comes, what happens at the return still has impact on those of us who have predeceased. Paul writes about that in his letter to the Thessalonians. But we're moving along this river to this, this place, this point in time. And when that point in time happens, when Jesus returns, it kicks into gear all kinds of fulfilled promises in God that are so precious, so very, very good. Finish strong, he says, in light of the Lord's return. Um, But we have to be patient to get there. And this is the difficulty, isn't it? When I um, was raising our kids, um, my wife and I, I think I've told you, we would sometimes do this crazy thing where we would drive to Disneyland um, without stopping. Well, bathroom breaks, food breaks, of course. But like 24 hours, we would drive to Disneyland. And, and remembering that first trip where kids have never been there and, you know, this, like, they don't grumble in the first hour. They don't grumble in the second hour. They grumble later. They grumble when it starts to get tiring. They grumble when it starts to become difficult. They grumble when they can no longer keep that end goal in mind. So the precious fruit that we are waiting for, we need to be aware of. And and just a smattering, a a bit of smattering of, of what God has in store for us. We're told in 1 John that when we see him, when this happens, we're going to experience a great transformation. We shall become like him. I can't imagine what, what, what that is all going to entail. We do know that there's going to be a great transformation of our body. We read in Philippians how our lowly bodies, Paul calls it, our lowly bodies. Now, our bodies are amazing. Like the things that our bodies can do. When you do a study of our physical bodies, like it's incredible what our bodies are capable. But in light of what is to come, when, when all this kicks in gear after the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and at some point we experience this transformation, we are going to have bodies like Jesus has right now. It's called a glorious body, and it's powered by the Holy Spirit. 
That's what's to come. That's part of the precious fruit. And in this glorious transformed state with glorious transformed bodies, we are going to live in a glorious transformed new heaven and new earth. We read this in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. It begins to, to give us a glimpse. And what, it, what is it going to look like at the end of the age? John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, now, sometimes, I don't know if you travel much, but there are a lot of beautiful, beautiful places in our world. Like, absolutely stunning and beautiful. And yet, this, this, this world is groaning, waiting for this future transformation to a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be so beautiful. And, and, and in this new heaven and new earth, there's going to be a transformed relationship between God's people and himself. So that he will be able to exist right in the midst of them. They'll be able to look at him without any barrier. They'll be able to see him and he will dwell in their midst. This is what God has wanted all along. And think about all the difficulties that you experience in your life and the pain and the suffering In this new transformed world, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death, despicable death will be no more. Neither will they be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is part of the new age that Jesus inaugurates when he comes. Isn't that precious? Isn't that beautiful? Does your heart yearn for that? In Ephesians chapter 2, we are told that in the coming ages, having been raised up with Christ, because in our faith in God, he places us in Christ, and it's like we're raised with him. In the coming ages, he's going to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow. Randy Alcorn has written a lot about heaven and suffering and and he says, how will we feel when the great shadow departs forever? How will we feel when everything happy comes true? And everything sad comes untrue? We will feel perhaps like it couldn't get any better than that. Like my great day. But each new day will prove us wrong. See, the thing about some of our holidays and our great days is we know they're going to come to an end and we can't renew it, we can't repeat it. And, and in, in itself, even that gives us a bit of pain and, and disappointment. But in the age to come, there's no bad days. It's a great day. And we think, can't get better than this, but each day will prove that wrong. In the ages to come, God will be expressing to us the greatness of his kindness for all Eternity. Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Waits. He's patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Therefore, how in the world do not grumble against one another? You see, where grumbling happens is when we've lost our perspective, when we, we don't know how good it's going to be, and that whatever we're going through in this life is just so, um, it's so small compared to what lies ahead. 
The Apostle Paul was called by God, apprehended by God, really, knocked off his feet to have an encounter with Jesus, chosen by God to be his mouthpiece, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to the Jews, but also to the Gentile world. And in that calling, it was told him very specifically that he would be shown the great things that he would suffer for God's name. And when you read the story and you follow the life of the Apostle Paul, you see how he's often criticized, how he's threatened, how he's imprisoned, how he's beaten, how he experiences shipwreck, how he's cast aside, left for dead. And yet, when he writes to the churches in this New Testament Bible, he writes with joy and he's encouraging the people around him to have joy, to worship. And in Corinthians he says, I count these afflictions that I'm experiencing in light of the glory that is to come because he had a glimpse of the future that's inaugurated with the coming of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the, what I'm experiencing are but light and momentary difficulties in light of the glory of God that is to come. Be patient, James says. Be patient. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. See, we're, we grumble with one another and, and we take... We make promises we don't keep. That's what it's referring to in verse 12 around oaths. We, we, we grumble against one another. We make promises we don't keep when we lose our perspective. And we don't live heavenward. We don't live Godward. We don't live with eternity in mind. We lose our perspective. James says don't do that. Think about the coming of the Lord. He says don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Where did this come from? What is this about judge and, and judgment? What, where did James get this? And how does this connect with what he's talking about, the coming of the Lord? Well, it's clearly outlined through the prophets in the Old Testament. But if we skip forward, we can see that very clearly he got this from Jesus. As Jesus talked to people and he even addressed cities, he talked about the coming judgment. He writes in, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter uh, 11, it's recorded there, written about what Jesus' words. It says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, other cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Verse 23, and you, you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than you. We read just a chapter over as Jesus is giving parables to his disciples. And he says in verse 47 of chapter 13, again, the kingdom of heaven... Is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and will separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Jesus talked about a separation of people that happens after his return at the end of the age. This is not something God wants. Remember we read in Peter, not willing that any should perish. Jesus came, he gave his life, he suffered and died on a cross, gave his life away so that the offer of forgiveness of sins and the moving from death to life, from condemnation under judgment to freedom in Christ could be every person's experience. God is not willing that any should perish. That any person should remain under judgment is simply the decision that that person has made. If you're here this morning and and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, these are the words of Jesus. It's not just happy, 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 come to church and be happy, happy, happy. Jesus, Jesus has all these great things for your life and he does. But he came, first of all, to suffer and die for the fact that we're separated from God by our sins. And he is the only solution to that problem. And to forsake him is to put yourself, you're condemned already under his judgment, which already exists, but will be one day fully carried out after his return. But right now he's waiting patiently. Would you please repent? Would you please turn? Just embrace all the things that I've done for you. Pass from death to life. That's for you. James says in James chapter 4, he says, There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. See, James understood that the return of Jesus Christ and all that it inaugurates is both a rescue and a judgment in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see how the apostles carried that very same message. I I, I was amazed as I looked through the book of Acts and I see what they actually preached when they talked to people. When Peter speaks to Cornelius, he talks to him and, and he says to Cornelius after preaching part of Jesus, you know, always proclaiming Jesus, he says, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and dead. So as you follow the apostles preaching, they preach Jesus. They preach that he's the Messiah. He's the promised one of the Old Testament, the anointed one of God. He is Lord. He is ruler over all in that capacity. He is both Savior and Judge. Peter preached that. Paul preaches it. We go to Acts chapter 17 and he's with, um, you know, people who believe in multiple gods. He's He's in a secular environment in Athens and to them... He preaches that the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, Jesus. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus, risen Savior, Messiah, judge. When Paul is brought before the governor Felix, he says the same thing. It says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul, and he heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and told Paul to go away. 
See, the followers of Jesus preached exactly what Jesus said, that his Holy Spirit would be work, working in convincing people of its truth, truth, sin, righteousness, and judgment. James says, don't grumble against one another, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is at the door. What does that mean? Behold, Jesus, if his return is soon, if his return is coming at hand. That also means not only the Savior is imminent, but so is the judge. And let that inform how you live. Christians will not be judged for condemnation. Christians' status is already has already taken care of by their faith in Jesus Christ. They will not be judged for their sins, and they pass from death to life. But here's the amazing thing. God's going to do a discerning for the sake of giving them rewards. Personally, I don't think I would deserve anything. When I consider my life and the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ and that I will have an eternal relationship with him, that is enough. But it's not enough for God. God wants to give you more. And out of his mercy and grace, he wants to reward you For the good things that you are doing in this life, as you live your life in light of his person, in light of all he's about, he wants to reward you. How amazing is that? And yet here we are, sometimes we get so involved in our circumstances and so focused on them, and sometimes it's because those circumstances are so very, very hard. Sometimes it's like we, like in an MMA fight, you know, it's a, you've been hit with this, like this swift blow and it's thrown you completely off and you feel like you're dying. Or sometimes it's like the slow squeeze of life, relentless over and over and over again. And it's just squeezing the faith out of you and you want to tap out. Or it can be the riches, you know, the affluence that we live in and all these choices we have and so many things that we can give our life to that we find ourselves completely distracted. James wants to bring us to that point to remind us what is life about? Life is about faith, a living, real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's real, we know that one day there's a day coming where we're going to spend eternity with him. And he is going to reward us out of his mercy and grace and will live forever as he shows us the extension of his kindness. So James wants to encourage us with two examples, two people. It'd be like I'm standing up here and I say, don't just believe me in my experience, but here's a couple of guys who have walked through this and look how they have seen that God's faithfulness is greater than your problems. That the surety of his promises are more sure than your uncertainties. Exhibit A. Look at the prophets and maybe he'd bring a whole long list of people. This morning I want to present to you just the prophet Jeremiah. Because that happens to be where I'm doing my daily reading right now as I journey through the, the Bible in a year. I'm in Jeremiah and how appropriate as I read about his life. A man who's called by God and doesn't really, you know, Lord he's sure... And he's called to speak to a people that don't want to hear the words that he has to say. Everything about him is so countercultural. Trying to call people back to an allegiance to God. And even though they're religious, they, they just don't want to do it. They're the kind of people that would go to church on Sunday and then do all kinds of things uh, uh, the rest of the week that are completely out of line with what God wants. So that James even has to criticize their going to the temple says, you say the temple, the temple, the temple. you got to know that's not going to save you. Just like going to church won't save you here. 
And his life is threatened. There's a murderous plot to kill him. At one point, he's thrown into a dark, muddy cistern. He's relentlessly criticized. I don't think Jeremiah was the kind of guy that was living for the moment. He's not living for the present day. He's looking for the future. He's looking for the promises of God that he's proclaiming to be fulfilled. James says, let's take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Consider them. Their steadfastness. And now we can look at Jeremiah's life because we have the privilege of the vantage point of hundreds of years later. And we can see how his words, the words that he spoke came true. That God was faithful to what he promised. And so many of the things that Jeremiah prophesied came to be exactly as he spoke. James says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. Here, let me bring Job up. Listen to his example as if he was right before you today and know that his story is, oh, such a story. A man who had it all, so wealthy, esteemed in his community, upright, so that God would even brag about him, but he loses it. He loses his kids. He loses his business. And then he loses his health. And is it a struggle? Absolutely. Job, the book of Job does not whitewash what's going on. It's, one of the, it's the most difficult place because it's perplexing. Why is this going on? Have you ever been perplexed? Have you ever wondered, why are these circumstances happening in my life that I'm experiencing right now? Job has been there. But again, we get, the, we get a different perspective. We see what's actually going on. That God is being purposeful. And at the end of the day, for Job, God has been merciful and compassionate and gracious. Bringing Job through. Restoring even more abundance to him. Family. But now with a much, much deeper knowledge of who God really is. Merciful compassionate, holy, gracious. Be patient. James writes, Be patient until the coming of the Lord. You also, verse 8, be patient. He repeats himself. This is the central part of what he wants to say. Be patient, that is, wait, keep trusting Keep trusting and then let your actions be an exhibit that you are continuing to trust in the God who loves you so much. He gave his son Jesus to die for you and rose from the dead and is one day coming again. Be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So how do we live? How do we make this stick? Establish your hearts, James says. That means to make your heart resolute. Like make it, make this so diligent. Make it so focused in your life. I think there's one thing we need to do. And even this morning probably as we're talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't thought about it for quite a while. I think we need to ongoingly, like regularly, preach the gospel. That is, preach the story of God from beginning to end to ourselves. Not just what Jesus has done at the, in, his, in his death on the cross and his resurrection, as central as that is. But also to understand where that takes us to. 
a victory, a, a life in the kingdom, and a future with God where there's no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. Preach that to ourselves. Speak it to yourself. And then make decisions in the light of eternity. I have a friend of mine who works with businesses and in one of his recent um, emails just talked about making decisions, how we make them. He said, you know, the best way to make a decision is to ask yourself, what effect will this decision have in 10 years? And as you begin to make that, ask yourself that question, if you're, let's say, you're, you're uh, trying to discern the, the choice between two things and, and to ask yourself, like, what effect, if I go this way, will that have in 10 years? What effect will this have in 10 years? He says, it's amazing how clear your decision-making can become. How much more if we continually lived in the light of our future and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and we asked ourselves in the daily decisions that we're making, what effect does this have in light? Of Jesus' return. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to the church there. And 1st and 2nd Thessalonians have a lot of material on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he reminds the church as he's talking to them about this. For God has not destined us for wrath. Followers of Jesus. He's not destined us for wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us so that whether we awake or asleep, we might live with him. And then here's his words. Here's his takeaway. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Not only do we need to preach the gospel to ourselves and make decisions in light of the return of Jesus Christ. But we also need to preach it to each other. And in so doing, encourage one another and build one another up to live for what really matters. Our future and our relationship of real faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to really encourage you as, you as we enter into a new ministry season at Central Heights and we get into September. Um, one of the best ways to encourage our faith and to, to make it in a place where it can continue to grow strong is to be involved in a community group of some sort. We have threes and fours. We have small groups. We have mid-sized community groups. It's so important to be in an environment where you can be encouraged and you can encourage other people. This is one of the ways we can live out James and Paul's instruction to us in light of the Lord's return. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you, you've not left us aimless and without understanding and the truth in the midst of all our circumstances and everything that flies at us in the day-to-day. God, you've reminded us that we are part of a bigger picture because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. We thank you that you're coming again. You're going to set everything right. We thank you, Lord, that you will create a perfect world in which no sin exists, no death, no sorrow. Oh, God, how we look forward to that. Lord, help us to live today in light of that future glory. We ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us for that. In Jesus' name, amen.